Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to The Horror Hangout, a podcast where film fans watch the best and worst horror movies of all time and talk about them. Today's episode is a very special bonus episode featuring the director of an upcoming short film, Bath Bomb, a queer giallo film that is currently funding on Indiegogo. My name is Ben Errington and I'm joined by Colin G. Cooper, an acclaimed director, editor and occasional producer based in Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the show, Colin. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolute. It's an absolute pleasure. How how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, bad weather, so I've been inside uh, watching horror movies, which is you know, it's the best way to hide from the realities of <laughs> of the outside world, right? Just staying and watching any horror right. movies. What's been getting you through the last few days? You've been watching anything in particular? Um, today I was watching uh, Cold Hell. It's uh, okay. it's like a set in vienna horror movie that's on shutter i was mostly checking it out because um i had read the synopsis multiple times it had some recognition at a few festivals when it came out a few years ago um but in a i just saw some blurb about it on twitter where it was described as a as a neo giallo and i was like what so then i <laughs> and I it definitely like, Definitely I is. think if you add Neo to anything, I think it instantly makes it what three times as cool. Well, sounds three times as cool. <laughs> I think it just sounds like you can get away with doing whatever you want and say that. I didn't say it was a Giallo. I said it was a Neo. <laughs> I said it was a Neo Giallo. Come on, that's two completely different things. What's wrong exactly. with you? Exactly. Uh, awesome. So obviously we're going to talk about the short film Bath Bomb as well, and um, so I'll. Before we get started, I'll just read out some details on the film so our um, listeners are up to speed. Of course, we are going to link the Indiegogo campaign in our show notes as well, so feel free to check it out immediately after listening to this episode. Uh, so Bath Bomb is a proposed short film written by Michael Clifton and directed by Colin with the intention of establishing a queer approach to the cinematic sh- subgenre. Jesus, that was a mouthful. 
<laughs> known known as Jallo. Uh, Jordan is a sullen doctor with a refined manner. Grant is his beefy himbo boyfriend. Jordan prepares an ostensibly romantic bath for Grant, but it takes a disturbing turn after Jordan reveals that he knows Grant has cheated on, cheated on him, which is incredible. There's delicious violence, sexy man flesh, and a judicious amount of campy humor. It sounds kind of terrifying, mainly because I feel like you may, I feel like you you'd be in a real position of of vulnerability in a bathtub, especially if someone Correct. else has run that bathtub for you. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Where do you stand on somebody? Where do you stand on somebody else running a bath for you? <laughs> I'm like, you don't know how I like it. You don't know what I like in it. You don't know the temperature that I work with. What are you doing running me a bath? To see it being done. I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable if somebody ran a bath for me that I wasn't seeing happen. And then I just yeah. was invited to get into it. That's, uh, Is that simply because of your involvement with this short film that you think that there's a sinister, sinister. I think it's the other way around to... that. <laughs> that's the reason I was drawn to that subject <laughs> is because uh, I would not trust. A, a <laughs> you wouldn't... How would you feel if somebody said they were going to draw you a bath? I'd be okay with it if I could sit and watch. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I feel like if they just used the ter the terminology "draw me a bath," I'd be immediately, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be immediately suspicious. You're doing what now? I mean, I, uh, I think the context matters. If it was at the end of a date, maybe. If it was in a job interview, maybe not. You know, Ooh, end of a date as well. That's yeah. a weird time to have someone run you. <laughs> Or do you mean like after after the interesting stuff's kind of out the way, then? Or like can... as an intro to the interesting stuff. Okay, yeah. I didn't think of it like that. I suppose so. Uh, <laughs> I'm feel like I feel like yeah. I'm just asking you so many personal questions now, Colin. No, I do apologize. Good. I do apologize for that. But this is the last one. I promise. How okay. do you, how do you feel about sharing a bath with someone? Because I think a lot of people think that's quite romantic. Me personally, I always find that quite strange i wouldn't i don't know if i'd like that yeah i've had it definitely matters based on the per person i've had romantic baths shared with another person that i enjoyed and ones where i just felt mm. you know gross the whole time like we're just <laughs> stewing in each other's filth but uh, and, <laughs> and this is the la this is just an addition to that question i apologize again <laughs> For, for 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 the for the personal nature of these questions are we talking like uh belly to back or like completely opposite so you're like almost facing each other i've done both both of those situations too why am i speaking to such a, a man a man of experience a man who's been for it all done it all it depends on the size of the person like uh you know belly to we back even, works if it's we didn't like even a, mention that well, if the person's small, that's incredibly then, key. Then, then yeah, then it's nice. That's incredibly key. I don't think you want to be sharing a bath with um, a huge tree of a man. That'd be. Awkward. I mean, it's oh, been... well. I was gonna say, <laughs> belly to back probably works better. I've used that <laughs> configuration when bathing with a woman, because yeah. just by luck of the draw, women tend to be smaller. Like I'm over six foot, so women tend to be. Oh, smaller, and I've had baths with men that are yeah looking at each other because we're both kind of the same size, and yeah, that would be that would be just uncomfortable. Mm. 
with the same. I stuff. feel like you got you got to try a bit of both and work out what uh what works for you. It's that's like a, that's a good. It's hard, it's hard to have the little spoon be bigger than the big spoon, you know. It is. It's, it's incredibly difficult because it feels like you're wearing somebody as a backpack. Then, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I, I apologize. I didn't mean this to be this, how the episode started. However, uh, I'm a very, a very curious person. You know, I feel like as soon as I start speaking to somebody, I have so many questions. And it's these these are the kind of questions that help me get to know somebody much better than than anything else. But let's let's now move on to what we should be discussing, which is Bath Bomb, um, which is the short film that uh, that is currently funding crowdfunding on indiegogo now we've only got a couple of days left to go haven't we so i think by the time this correct. interview is out it will be two days so by tomorrow it'll be two days is that correct correct yeah yeah at the end of end of friday is uh or the the campaign ends on friday mm, unless if we meet if we meet our goal because it's a flexible goal on uh on indiegogo then if we meet our goal before the end of the uh, I see the term. It'll it'll go into their in demand program where it's extended indefinitely as long as you continue oh, receiving okay. a certain amount of contributions per month. I think it is. Mm -hmm. Was there a particular reason that you decided to choose crowdfunding for this project ahead of any anything else? So we actually crowdfunding is just a piece of the of the puzzle. We had mm -hmm. private funding involved, and then we have some funding from um movie maker magazine okay. um who i pitched the project to at uh, at a film festival last year um but yeah we we needed additional funds um especially after we we uh, our cinematographer is is kind of a you know um i don't like using the term a big deal but you know he's he's like from uh <laughs> He oh, works yeah. on, on proper things, and so <laughs> once once he was attached, then it just kind of change changes your approach to the whole the whole project and uh, and the budget as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, we decided to try out crowdfunding to pull together that last piece, knowing that oh. if if crowdfunding didn't work out, that we would you know we could look elsewhere for additional private funds. Sure. I mean, it's a great option, and obviously, it's great for people to feel like they're involved in not just the process of it, but also everything that sort of comes after production as well. So, I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, obviously, I was going to say, how can audiences help fund the project? But we'll put the link to the Indiegogo in the in the show notes. But what are what perks are currently available to anyone looking to 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 back the project? Um, so we have kind of the typical credit based perks. You know, there's a special thanks credit there's um various producers credits associate producer uh co-producer producer and executive producer all for you know various amounts all the producer credits come with um merch like uh, we have a t-shirt a print of our poster plus a digital version of the film when it's finished digital screener or sorry digital version of the uh, score when it's when it's finished and um a pdf yeah, of the cool. script um, we decided against doing physical media of the film, like a Blu-ray, because it's only a five-minute short, and from a manufacturing perspective, it costs essentially the same amount to make a uh, a Blu-ray of of a five-minute short as it does a feature film. And so we 
in order to not lose money on that, we'd have to charge people the same amount for for uh, for this as we would as they would pay for a feature film, and that didn't seem you know right to us, so we just didn't do it. It's just a digital screening option only. And we um, our score is available on vinyl, uh, two different versions. Wow. There's like okay. a regular version and a, a limited version, and the score is being composed by um, Teresa Wayman, who's a singer and guitarist for Warpaint which is um, oh, okay. like an indie rock institution. They've been around for, for a long time. Yeah. They're going on tour this year. Um, they're doing back-to-back nights at Madison Square Gardens. Um, oh, wow. So for, for people, we've kind of, we've highlighted that perk because people yeah. who are, are fans of, of them, they might not even care about the movie, but <coughs> being able to have the vinyl might be appealing to them. Yeah, I mean that's a great like physical perk as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So does that mean you're kind of steering into a different sort of musical genre for Jalo? Because obviously Jalo's usually a little bit more um related to I guess like what what would you say jazz and yeah yeah no so that's what we're doing so it's actually really prog. cool. So, um, we originally were looking at like um, I don't know if you know Bad Bad Not Good. They're um they're they're Toronto based group they're, mm-hmm. they're jazz and they've they work with a lot of like um hip-hop artists mm-hmm. like big ones and um oh wow okay they, they um um we were looking at people in that like that were jazz groups as potential collaborators for for this and then um through our executive producer ronnie axley he had the idea <laughs> of uh, of Teresa from war paint and I was a bit um, reluctant at first because War Pain is not jazz at all. Yeah. And, uh, but she was pretty keen on doing it. And so we chatted and her and her brother, Ivan, who's, who's co-producing it, uh, co-composing it, had like a, you know, an exploration session where they, they tried out um, um, creating some stuff based on the script and the okay. like emotional beats of the script. And it was excellent. And he has a back, Ivan has a background in jazz drumming and uh, she's obviously based on the experimentation they did. She's obviously more than capable of, of fitting the genre as well. So they're, they're stepping outside of their, their regular wheelhouse to do something that mm. is jazz lounge based that, you know, fits with the, uh, with the oh, genre's wow. history. Okay. Why did you want to make a queer Jalo movie? What is the story that you're trying to tell here as a director? I know you mentioned pitching it before. I guess like what was the sort of what was behind the pitch that before you before you made it? Yeah, so um, I um, kind of, I discovered Jalo in in film school, and um, when when I when I first became aware of it, you know, and decided that I liked it. I went back and tried to trace the history of it and see how much was out there that I hadn't seen and where it all came from, et cetera, et cetera. And it seemed to me that it it felt queer. It felt like it had a queerness to it. Like there is an argument that I'm sure maybe you've heard, especially recently with s- stuff that Shudder has put out, you know, they have like the, the Queer for Fear series on there now. Mm-hmm. There is an argument often made by the queer community that I don't necessarily think is absolutely true, but I get where it comes from is the argument that all horror is queer um, because horror is yeah. about the outsider and what it's like mm. to exist as the outsider, etc. cetera. Um, but 
there was specifically a queerness to giallo i felt just because the combination of campiness and like flamboyant elements like the flamboyant production design and the the you know contrasting colored lighting that didn't really make sense for for what was going on in the scene and in terms of realism it didn't really make sense <laughs> and um there was i've i've read a bunch about an ambivalence towards modernity in in giallo and how male characters were often having their masculinity questioned but to me in some giallo films that sort of ambivalence towards modern concepts of masculinity seem to edge pretty close to the character seeming to be closeted in my opinion okay. and uh, okay. so but then there was also characters that were deliberately um, stated as being queer um, and the representation of those characters was awful like a lot of offensive representation oh God, yeah oh my so, God. yeah it just seemed it seemed very strange there's a lot of like queerness going on in the genre and i i felt like queer people should s s like bring the genre back like if giallo is going to come back it should be in the hands of queer people in my opinion because of those things mm -hmm. and so i always wanted to to do a queer giallo i never I, it's not something that i was actively pursuing but it was always in the back of my head and there's uh, at Film Quest. Are you familiar with that festival? It's a genre festival in in the states in uh, okay. uh, Provo, Utah, and they have an uh, event there called Filmmaker Speed Dating. And during oh, wow. that, okay. uh, during that, I met uh, Michael Clifton, who wrote this, and he had this oh, unproduced wow. screenplay called Bath Bomb that at the time was a one minute thing that he had written for a one minute screenplay competition. And it had an image in it that was very reminiscent of Giallo and the final image of the film. And so that when I, it struck me when I read it that this could be Giallo and it was already a, a queer story. And so we discussed expanding oh, wow. it okay. into a longer screenplay because one minute is, it didn't feel like the story was being told to its full length. And also we could make it even more Giallo by expanding it. So we expanded it to five minutes and that's, that's kind of how the whole thing started. Wow. Um, that's amazing. I mean, the speed dating thing. So it was already a queer story before. So you already had this idea to kind of, you wanted to make a queer shallow movie. And then, yep. uh, Michael, did you say? Yep. Michael Clifton. Clifton. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just turned, he already had a, well, that is, it's like it's meant to be. That's right. That is, that is fate. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like queer representation in, in those movies, I guess movies of like what the sixties and seventies, um, is it more like they were? I know you, I've I've already read something on the uh, on the Indiegogo campaign. We're obviously talking about queer men usually given little to no narrative license. You know, comedic relief and a feminine counterpart who was who was killed off, usually in like a marginally like humiliating way occasionally. And then also another key point that is really really important for us to bring up here is that if they were cast as the killer or like a red herring suspect, um, there was like this kind of like sinister subtext which obviously we mentioned like pedophilia here um but also there's some i mean i've definitely noticed this before and i don't think you mentioned this in this particular thing but sometimes there's a bit of like transphobia as well especially if the if yeah. the killer 
killer is like in any way, you know, not a gender stereotype. Um, so I guess was was that your feeling behind it as well? You wanted to give that rep, the, the, these characters, yeah, representation. And and those those types of offensive representations weren't rare at the time. But what was unique about Giallo is that there was a lot <clears throat> of queer characters in Giallo movies. You know, like <clears throat> in before kind of before Giallo, there were a few different types of Giallo happening before they all kind of came together in the seventies after after. Um, the bird with the crystal plumage and previous to that it was like you had the body count jello model which was kind of like the blood and black lace model with with the the black love killer doing his thing and you had on the the other side of it was this like erotic um thriller version of giallo and the point of intersection for the two of them was was a murder mystery and then eventually they all were brought together in the the erotic thriller giallo was usually a female protagonist and it was common in those for this female protagonist to be who's ostensibly heterosexual to be sort of lured away from the correct path of living by a queer woman mm. and so it wasn't just there's a lot of queer characters it was that queer characters seem to be very important to the plot in a lot of giallo films and that was not abundant in in any other one genre or subgenre uh, um, of, of mainstream cinema pretty much anywhere in the world at the time and was another reason that mm. it seemed really strange to me it's like why is what? this so yeah why is did you so important what? in these movies why do you think it was is what it was important was it <coughs> i have no idea you know i had a theory for a little while that a lot of giallo filmmakers were like closeted queer i don't think that that was the case but um yeah i'm not sure i think maybe because queerness um if it's true that these these films and the filmmakers were a bit ambivalent about how the world was being modernized at the time and that gender roles in society were changing i guess queerness is something that you could express those fears through because queerness does seem to be a betrayal to traditional uh gender roles um there are obviously other ways that you could explore that without using queer characters but it it would make sense to me i guess to to use yeah. queer queer characters for that purpose i think that's it I think that's a solid theory. And obviously it's not just something that would have been, um, that would have made sense for that time period as well. But I guess it's something that transcends time periods as well. Something that keeps sort of re resurfacing. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that's still, that's still culture. a way that people, uh, <laughs> that people personify yeah. fears about change is, is through uh, queer characters and queerness. I mean, mm. there's, you know, a lot of shit going on in the States right now. with like the anti drag movement and, anti-trans movement which are like <clears throat> gaining power sadly mm. yeah i mean it's just strange i like history just seems to constantly repeat itself but when it does repeat itself everybody treats it as if it's like a brand <laughs> a brand new thing that like we've never yeah. seen before and it's like hang on a minute this happens like every sort of period of there's like every i don't know 10 15 years there seems to be a, this yeah. uproar um but i mean and i guess people it, love to talk about like the progress that we made or whatever and then it's like well 
maybe immediately after you flash back and horrible, you feel like progress has been made. But as you're just saying, yeah. history repeats itself. It's going to be back around, you know, give it 10 years and, you know, yeah. the same problem is going to reemerge in a different way, but it's still going to be the same. Problem. In a way, do you think that's, that's why I like, um, queer representation in horror but you know it, it across all genres is kind of it's kind of timeless isn't it in a way because it always seems relevant and it always seems and it's always something to learn from i guess we can always look back at how these characters were rep- represented and, and and move on from it um and a new a new take on something as well which obviously you're uh you're doing yourself would you say that you um take inspiration from any of the jalo authors in particular or is it kind of like a lot a lot of the filmmakers you appreciate? Um, I think there's there's particular films for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Deep Red was a big one for me. And I'm going to revisit something that we were talked about before the interview. Was, um, when I first saw Deep Red, which was in university, I was convinced that the protagonist, Marcus, was closeted. There's just so much in that movie that suggests that he's gay. And like his relationship with uh, Daria Nicolodi's character is pretty crazily. <laughs> this dude has to be closet. And um, also his um, relation. <coughs> Sorry, his relationship with um, I'm blanking on his name, but his like best friend, hmm. who's also a musician, who ends up being being revealed to be gay, and who ends up being the he's the, the son of the who the woman who who is actually the killer sorry to anybody who hasn't seen it already <laughs> yeah that's right we didn't, we didn't <laughs> quite spoil it but it's no. now you'll you'll figure it out within minutes now that you know what i just said um and i had gone through the movie and found like all these points where i was like see this see this like these are reasons and other people that i went to film school with thought i was like reading into it too much and then when i started um, collecting Giallo on, on Blu-ray. I would order a lot from uh, Arrow Video because they have so many of them and they have really great special features on them. And in a lot of these commentaries, there's a guy, uh, Michael McKenzie, who who does a lot of these commentaries. And I had listened to a commentary of his on, on something else, but then just was looking him up and saw that he you know, was also an academic and he had written this paper on... Um, gender representation in Jello. And so I read that paper and there's a section on queer characters. Um, wow. Okay. And uh, I think it's, I think the section is called filthy slimy perverts and it's taken from, uh, <laughs> it's a line that the killer whispers in Tenebrae right before he, the famous like slashing through the shirt kill. And yeah. uh, in, in this section of the paper, he has, he posits the same theory that Marcus in Deep Red is closeted. And he goes oh. through a breakdown of like all the exact same things that I had pointed out to people. That <laughs> so everybody awful. in film school who doubted yeah. you, you're like, and, look, it's here, an academic. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's uh, he's not even queer himself, which uh, was I was impressed that oh, he wow. okay. found so... these things. So uh, yeah, I, I went to, to, he lives in Glasgow and I went to Glasgow and uh, had lunch with him. To talk did to did you just go to Glasgow just just for that? Just just I to... had other things that I needed to do in the UK, so I like, you know, yeah, put them together and took the opportunity to 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 visit. That's, 
That's amazing. And how was that? It was great. Yeah, he was, was a very, very informative guy, very knowledgeable about uh, giallo and uh, obscure horror in general. Yeah. Did, so did you have an idea that you, you wanted to make uh, like a queer horror movie or show oh, yeah, yeah. This, at, this... at the time as well? This project was already um, existed. Oh, okay. It was already at that point. Like motion. it was, we weren't, we didn't have a finished version. We might have had a close to finished version of the script, but not a finished version. Um, wow. I might have also had a pitch deck in some form or another at that time, but it was very early stages. Mm. This was last year. Oh wow! So it wasn't that long ago at all. Yeah. Amazing. Um. Okay, I mean, can you tell us anything else about the the rest of the team involved with the project at this stage? I know we've already talked about Michael. Um, yeah, so we've got um, our cinematographer is a guy named Jeremy Benning, who um, is primarily known for uh, The Expanse, which is... Um, oh, yeah, the sort of sci-fi... Yeah, it's a pretty big sci-fi show. Yeah. Um, uh, that started on Sci-Fi, the the channel, and then was taken over by uh, Amazon. And he he was involved even before the show started, developing the look for it. And then he stayed on as the primary cinematographer for all six seasons, which is pretty rare in television. Usually, oh, wow. there's a lot of different cinematographers working on a show. And then he's also shot episodes of The Boys and Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. He's right now oh, shooting. Wow. Okay. Um, He's shooting uh, Cross, which is um, an adaptation of the um, James Patterson novels, the Alex Cross series of oh, novels. Alex they, Cross, they, did, yeah. like, they did a bunch of movies in the 90s of them, like uh, Kiss the Girls yeah, with Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah, of course. Kiss Killer the Girls, along came, along came a Spider. Was that Alex? Was that Cross yeah. one as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's a series now, that, and he's shooting uh, that, and then uh, that's essentially what our production schedule is based on this when he we're waiting for him to be finished that before we can start proper pre-production on this um but the mm -hmm. intention is to shoot in in june second second weekend of june wow uh anybody lined up to play jordan and grant at this stage no we haven't cast yet um we had a few different options that we were uh, investigating for a while that uh yeah. didn't, didn't pan out for one, one minute one reason or another um one of the issues of casting a short, especially when you're approaching people who are um, known, is that you can't really, it's hard to get them to, um, they can say yes, but it's it's hard to get them to make an agreement where they are going to turn down other things for the short because. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, I see. Even, just even from just a strictly financial perspective, it's hard to be like, yeah, well, you know, I just got offered a feature and. You know, that's like several months of work. And yeah. if, I, if I can't be there for the days that you need me on this short, I can't get that job. So obviously they're going to take the feature and I'm, you know, I don't want to restrict mm. people from that type mm. of thing. So, so that, that's been an obstacle so far. Uh, so we're going to probably starting maybe as early as next week doing like a, like a, a, a casting, call, wow, like okay. casting call with the casting director. Mm. Wow, that's uh, that's super exciting. Um, it's definitely coming together then. So uh, I've got a couple of, couple of additional questions, some from my co-host, Mr. Andy Conduit-Turner. Of course, you will meet when you... Uh, we, so Colin will be joining us on the show um, 
in early May to discuss what did we decide upon? Tenebrae. Yeah. 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 And and as you and as you mentioned when we were chatting to you, like we haven't done all that much yellow on on the show, essentially. Yeah. So we've done sort of some like Jalo adjacent things. Um, we've done things like pieces, which, uh, as you mentioned, was like sort yeah. of like Jalo adjacent. Some people do uh, consider Jalo, but yeah, um, it depends. There's a lot of debate over what's technically Jalo. There's some people who say if it's not made in Italy by an Italian production company, it's yeah. not Jalo, regardless of the movie, which I think is crazy. But the um, the Beyond isn't Jalo, is it? No, that's more just like yeah, that's kind of part of like what people would call like post post Jalo. Is yeah. that what calling it? I mean, okay. even even Suspiria and Inferno are not, you know, Jalo yeah. really. There's, they've kind of I moved past into like the supernatural stuff. It's weird though, isn't it? Because I think when a lot of people mention Jalo, I think Suspiria tends to be one of the ones that people leap to sort of include in, yeah. in that. And I wouldn't call myself a Jalo expert in any in any sense of the word, but um, it's just one of those things. I think as we continue with this podcast nearing like 300 episodes we start to realize what subgenres we've maybe neglected a little bit um right. yeah because it's not the kind of thing we don't in terms of planning we kind of plan month by month and then it's like okay what's new coming out and then depending on what guests we've get what do they want to watch essentially so it's interesting to see um what direction you can go in once you let other people sort of kind of suggest what films to cover and that's been great for me to like see films that perhaps i'd I never would have chosen to see. Uh, right. I, I don't know. I mean, most of the time. Um, so, yeah. So a couple of questions from Andy, one of which has said, a lot of Jalo directors love a bit of ocular trauma pokes in the eye. <laughs> is that something that you're planning to embrace? Oh, I guess I don't want to give away any spoilers. Or do you have any favorite injuries from Jalo yourself that, that you would <laughs> like to? <laughs> that That's are your favorite? Best Jello kill is of all time is definitely an eye eye based kill. Um, yeah, you don't see the the eye get destroyed, but <coughs> it's in opera. The looking yeah. through the peephole and yeah. the gun is <laughs> the peephole and shoots through in like ultra slow motion, like blows through. That's <laughs> just crazy. And also, there are not many gun kills in Jello. And so you're not yeah, expecting, I, not. I don't think there's any other gun kills in that movie even. So you, you're really not expecting it. So really like, whoa, takes you. Yeah. And then obviously the, there's eye trauma throughout that movie, right? With the, the pins to yeah. hold her open. Oh so God, the pins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that is definitely well. one of those visuals that, that sort of has always stuck with me from that. Just like, don't close your eyes. You're like, would you, you can you? Uh, there's yeah, there's a lot of Jello films where like, if you would just get rid of the third act, it would be a great movie. <laughs> Not just Jello films, you know. Just... Yeah, oh, totally. But <laughs> especially Jello because the third act is usually when you get the really unnecessary exposition about like why they killed people. Yeah. Okay. It's like I almost don't. You know, I don't care now why you killed. Keep, it a, we, keep the mystery. We yeah, just they want the glove. People. Let's let's just. Yeah. Which is one of the things that I actually think Americans were smart about when they transitioned, they took Jalo and turned it into the slasher is that mm. like right from the start, you know, um, John Carpenter, you, you just removed that human element from the killer so that, you know, there is yeah. no reason behind it. It's just, you know, that other characters might hint at, Oh, 
family trauma or whatever but the the, the killer himself never he's has pure like, evil yeah yeah exactly the killer himself never has like well i did it because this and that it's just yeah you don't know why and it's better that way that is kind of I, th- I think i agree with you there because the slasher movies that fall apart for me are when they try to give humanity to the i mean the perfect example is i mean i do love the scream franchise however i always feel like i love the scream franchise up until killers are revealed because as yeah. soon as killers are revealed and they're just it's, it's either one of two things in scream it's either a family member of a previous killer or like a super fan of something or someone yeah and it feels that's all it is and for me the films kind of fall apart with that and i feel like that mystery yeah um what what elements do you think of of Jalo have has american cinema like really taken on board and ran with well, it's interesting talking about Scream because I think the Scream, I think there's two different types of slasher films in American cinema. And one of them is really still just Giallo, which is the Scream type of mm. slasher. Although Scream also has a meta element to it, though it didn't create that by any means either. I mean, Tenebrae is a, is a meta horror as well, um, you know, with a horror author whose book is called Tenebrae. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah. um the thing that's slasher that I think makes a slasher a true slasher is that it's about the killer, right? Like you watch the Halloween movies because of Mike Myers, you watch the Elm Street mm. movies because of Freddy Krueger, etc. That's the the focus of those films is the slasher, the person doing mm-hmm. the slashing. And although sometimes, like in the 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 Elm Street case, that person might be mostly a human in terms of having a personality and can converse and blah, blah, blah. A lot of cases they don't, they're like subhuman. And in Giallo, it was somebody that you know, or a per- part of your social mm. circle, etc. cetera. And you're, it, it has a murder mystery element to it. You don't know who's doing the killing. Whereas, you know, in those same franchises, you know who the killer is and that's why you're there. Um, so I think movies like Scream are in some ways more giallo than they are slasher, uh, f- narratively anyway. They've lost a lot of the uh, la- visual language of giallo, oh, obviously, the, the, the flamboyant production design and colorful lighting, et cetera, et cetera, is, is gone. And the ridiculously fashionable outfits that women wear from scene to scene, even if it's the same day. Has, has <laughs> even been, if it's the same yeah has been lost as well Cost, costume but, change yeah and some of them were so ridiculous but but amazing you say um, that but let's talk drew barrymore's lovely knitwear in the first film what's the the little is it like a, a yellow blazer that that gail weathers wear? is it yellow or green some oh, sort right, of like right. lovely blazer anyway maybe i've just noticed the fashion of these characters um but yeah that is interesting isn't it because i guess it does maintain a lot of shallow elements in terms of it being a... a I mean, especially Scream, because the Scream, the opening to the Scream, to the first Scream film, I don't remember the plots of any of the sequels until the most recent two. Um, And which they, you know, did a new version of the opening of the original Scream in Scream 5 with Jenna Ortega on the phone, but also texting, right? That's Mm. That's taken directly from Giallo as well. Like one of the first giallo films was a short so after mario bava made the first giallo film which was the girl who knew too much he made um an anthology horror film called 
Black Sabbath. And one of those films was called Il Telefono, The Telephone. And that was Giallo. And the, the, that's the first time in cinema that you have the killer calling somebody. And oh, wow. on, okay. while she's on the phone with the killer, the killer reveals that he can see her. And, you know, yeah. and then she's trying to, you know, yeah. not get killed. Um, which she is ultimately <laughs> the difference is that she does live in in oh, okay. spoiler sorry so but, it's and, almost and the person on the the person who's the killer turns out yeah. to be a friend of hers disguising their voice so that's that whole premise originally no voice box you know, they've just they're just doing an accent you know, that now that <laughs> that's actually would have been smarter because it's a woman and she's disguising her voice as a man, which they obviously just used a man's voice. But in the, the way they show you that they did it. He's in, good at that. Yeah, the, the way they showed you in the, in the movies that supposedly just by putting a handkerchief over her mouth, she's changed her voice from a woman's voice into a man's voice. So, because they didn't have, you know, obviously voice changing <laughs> technology in 1963. But yeah. But yeah. So, Scream is just, you know, Giallo, Giallo but expanded. Yeah, that is fascinating, isn't it? Um, and so, Scream, uh, removed, Scream removed the um, the erotic element of that movie, which I think mm -hmm. is another thing that American Slasher did. Is there was you know eroticism was a huge part of Giallo, um, mm -hmm. and it was removed in the slasher genre. And I think one of the main reasons that that's the case is because Dario Argento ended up being the most widely known Giallo filmmaker, and he was the only of the big giallo filmmakers that did not feature much erotic content in his films. Okay. That's interesting. Isn't it? Um, and I, obviously you mentioned black Sabbath there. So it leads me on to the next question where um, I've seen you talk previously about giallo and its connections to metal music. Uh, okay. And whilst, whilst I haven't directed music videos for the likes of under Oath and Silverstein as well. Uh, how do you see those worlds colliding in your work personally? I know you told a story about how black Sabbath, got their name which was from that movie is that's correct isn't it correct that is correct yeah um i i mean obviously there's a big cross there's an intersection between like metal lovers and horror lovers already um oh. the hist because the histories are are aligned you know people black sabbath had a lot of horror based lyrics and so did a lot of other metal bands so it was i think it was pretty natural that people who liked metal tended to like horror as well um but yeah i, I also have a background in in the metal world from via the music videos that you mentioned but also i've worked for a number of years for for a pretty big metal festival in in the states called cycle las vegas and actually one of the people who runs that festival uh is our executive producer on uh, oh wow back. okay oh awesome yeah. uh, named ronnie exley he's the reason that we had connections with musicians that we approached for doing the score like like uh teresa from from Warpaint. um i'm not sure if i will c use metal in in my uh giallo work we'll see bath bomb is kind of the first step in mm -hmm. A number of of queer giallo feature projects that uh, I have planned and that myself and okay. and uh, oh, wow. the writer M Michael Clifton are, are working on. I 
I would like to, I think, incorporate metal, but metal that's sort of experimenting with other genres because that's just part of the spirit of Giallo. Like even when Giallo wasn't Ennio Morricone style jazz yeah. and lounge, uh, it was still experimental. Like when um, Argento brought in Goblin, you know, who yeah. that were a progressive rock band at the time, even they were experimenting, like in Deep Red, they're experimenting with jazz and funk and and mm -hmm. and lounge in that in that score um so i could i could see doing something like that with a metal band though which mm -hmm. i think could be could be pretty interesting there there are some like metal or metal adjacent bands that uh, i've thought of using for giallo before um there's a band called zoo zu they're like an italian um, some people call them like hardcore jazz. It's like jazz instrumentation, but very metal yeah. sounding music, super okay. aggressive. Okay. And I've there's a track of theirs that I really love in this feature film that we have planned um, that would be a queer giallo. When I think oh, of wow. the opening okay. title sequence for it, I think of this one track from yeah. them. So I, I could see that happening down the road. That's cool. That's cool. Um... Yeah, that sounds that sounds super exciting. Um, obviously, we talked a little bit more about modern mainstream horror, uh, but sort of stepping away from Jalo, I was just wanting to talk about queer characters um, in general and their representation in in modern mainstream horror. Are there any tropes currently that you like, or any tropes that you dislike, or any that could be improved upon? Um, I like that there's more queer characters in uh in horror and i like that there's more queer characters especially in horror that's I, i'm not don't mean directly targeted at youth but that is youth inclusive um mm -hmm. but this is not has nothing to do with the filmmakers it's baffling to me, the response to it, like I'm sure you've known the, the Last of Us, you know, mm -hmm. th a regular thing happens now where if you have queer characters or queerness in an episode of something that wears its queerness on its sleeve, ratings bombing happens regularly. Like the, um, yeah, you know, the gay uh, survivalist story in mm -hmm. the last of us was seen by critics and a lot of folks as the best episode to up to that point yeah. in the series but if you looked on i don't know if this has changed since but if you looked on rating sites at the time it was the lowest rated and it was because you know homophobes ratings bombed it and then there was the other episode where you get a flashback into um her her past uh what's her name yeah the, the main character Ellie. ellie's past and there's a queer love story there as well same thing happened in that episode <laughs> and um but these are just human stories you know we can't just limit the human stories that that are being told to just straight relationships because where's i mean where's the fun in that you know yeah is, and i guess what I, what I was going to say is that I don't like that 
we're still not at a we're we're still kind of at a place where if you're going to have queer characters you it, you kind of just make that character's story about the fact that they're queer which mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like progress to me it's like the point should be that queer people are just people in in um in any type of art or or media but I don't know, but then when you when you see these reactions, it's like, okay, but are we maybe society isn't ready for that? Strangely, because they can't even handle having queerness talked about in a show without shitting their pants. Like it's but uh, in a sh- in a show where those queer elements were present in the in the original property it was based on. Um, that the love story with the character of Bill, which was episode three, um, was oh not hinted at, but you're aware you're aware of it. I don't know if you played the game. Colin I did not um, no well it's, it's, hint, it's hinted at and you kind of there's some there's some lore that you kind of pick up along the way and you discover that this this there's a character Bill who's on his own and he's quite bitter and angry at the world and you find out it's because his partner um who was a man had died um and they'd kind of fallen out before he died that was it but also the story of Ellie like there's a whole bolt-on section to the game which is all about that story and it's almost beat for beat exactly the same as it is in the show so I can't understand why anybody would be coming into that and thinking, you know, the, the makers of the game are very, they're very present in the making of the show as well. So yeah. they're going to be telling the same, the same human stories. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is just, dis- yeah, it is, it is incredibly disappointing, isn't it? But yeah. Yeah. So I guess <clears throat> expanding upon what I was just saying there is that some of the stuff that I feel like, isn't progress or enough progress maybe i'm wrong because in my life where i know a lot of queer people and i live in canada (laughs) it's like maybe i don't have a very accurate view from a global perspective of where everybody's at in terms of queerness Mm. um but on the other hand that even saying that sounds so stupid you know <laughs> like it shouldn't be a it shouldn't be a thing period you know you shouldn't mm-hmm. have to wonder what oh what's what how is my perspective on queerness in relation to the rest of the world or are they comfortable which with as much as i am because nobody should feel like quote unquote comfortable or uncomfortable with mm-hmm. you know a, a reality of of human relationships you know and how, how does that dr- how does that drive you there when like creating um stuff like like bath bomb does that does that help well that's or... also that's also kind of one of the reasons that i wanted to do this you know um i i have some friends um you know especially in recent years as as political conversations become more popular and more heated i have friends mm-hmm who even even friends who are like myself members of traditionally marginalized populations and not just queer people also people of color that are friends of mine um i i know a number of friends in these situations in these communities who are actually not very um supportive of identity politics and are, are are pretty strongly opposed to identity politics um and because I, I I'm engaged in those conversations with those people a lot and I don't 
necessarily disagree with the reasons that they're not fans of identity politics. I would never have seen myself as a person who was like, I want to make something that's explicitly queer to take like queer ownership of this subgenre. But when the opportunity came up to make this and I was feeling sort of like at the time, The Last of Us hadn't come out yet, but I was already feeling the, these things about like public reactions to, to queer characters in shows or to queer shows in general. I found that, you know, if I'm being honest with myself, I do kind of have a, a drive to, yeah, I do want queer people to like, you know, this is like this small little niche of, of horror. Let's just take this over and we can have this. <laughs> and, yeah. and within this realm, maybe if the, the pocket of straight culture that doesn't want us to be here just doesn't pay attention to this, then we can kind of like, create something cool within this little subgenre and get this little subgenre to a state where queerness doesn't have to be explicitly talked about just as queerness where it's just yeah these are mm. just queer people and doing their thing as anybody else would do their thing they're a character like any other character would be then maybe that would provide like this little experiment of hope <laughs> that you could do that elsewhere an experiment you know? of hope like a platform for to, that could be built upon, I guess. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, they worked with Giallo. Let's, we can do it too. <laughs> with Giallo, come on. Let's see what Colin G. Cooper's going to do it over there. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Uh, <laughs> okay. And the last question from Andy um, is is bath related, it looks like. He says, oh. I, I thought we got all the bath related questions out of the way at the start of the show, but no, we're going backwards. Um, Colin, do you personally find the effort to get glittery tide marks off the enamel after you've enjoyed a lovely bath bomb contributes to the decrease in the relaxing benefits of having said bath? Um, you know, I can't honestly say that I that I <laughs> clean those all the time. You know, when there's no. glitter left in the tub, I would I just leave it most of the time. It'll be washed out the next time you have a bath, yeah. or if you're having a shower in said tub, yeah, it'll be yeah. Washed the shower out as well. usually gets rid of most of it, and if you notice like a streak of it or whatever, you can you know like wipe it with your foot while you're showering or whatever. Yeah, or if you're having another bath, clean while you're in there. That's what I do. Get a bit of the clean the <laughs> clean the bathroom while I'm in in the relaxing bathtub. Oh, Delightful. That, that <laughs> seems like an intrusion on the relaxation for sure. Yeah, just can't relax. Just relax. I can't. Uh, okay. So, Colin, before we wrap up, we've got a a bit of a quick fire round, which I've kind of just haphazardly put together. I feel like we've covered almost everything that I've put in this in this quick fire round, but let's do it anyway. Okay. So, um, first off, bath or shower? Shower. As a man who's making a movie about baths. Yeah. yeah. That's so controversial. Uh, Argento or Fulci? Oh, shit. Argento. So yeah, okay. Happy, en <laughs> happy ending or hint for a sequel? Hint for a sequel. Yeah, keep the franchise going. Uh, final girl slash boy or first victim? Oh, Final, final person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, jazz soundtrack or metal soundtrack? You're going to say a bit of both, aren't you? Hmm. I mean, is this for for anything or 
for Jallo for let's 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 do both Jallo first and then for anything um actually you know what I think my answer is the same for everything which is metal yeah it's a good answer um everything else we have definitely covered what was that there's a lot of different kinds of metal so I was literally just have I was ha- I was having a conversation uh, with 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 my partner when we were, were when we were walking to the supermarket, and randomly out of nowhere she started asking me about metal subgenres, and she was just firing out bands and trying to get me to tell her what <laughs> what what genre of metal they were. I think we were we were discussing grindcore, stoner rock, doom metal, everything. Yeah, it was it was a fun conversation. Uh, well, of course, you will be joining us again on the show um, in the first week of May to start to discuss Tenebrae, which I think is going to be fun. Uh, yeah. Where can our listeners find more from you or keep up to date with your new projects? Are you exclusively on Instagram? Because I think I saw your Twitter and it said you don't use it. Is that right? Yeah. As an individual, I only use Instagram. I technically have a Twitter and a Facebook, but I do not use them. Uh, yeah. They, exist solely because those accounts are like tied to things i think yeah. my my airbnb account is tied to my facebook so i can't get rid of it <laughs> oh yeah and, uh, <clears throat> yes and that's just my name colin g cooper all one blob um but more importantly until the campaign is over bath bomb is bath bomb uh, yes bath bomb is the campaign and on all three of those platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, it's at bath bomb horror. Awesome. I will be putting the, I'll link, put links to that and your account in the show notes, as well as of course, the link to the Indiegogo campaign. Best of luck for the remaining two days. And of course, everything else that follows that Um, super excited to see it pan out so thank you very much for listening if you enjoyed the show become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash horror hangout thanks to taj easton for our theme music thanks to Acast for hosting the show uh and please consider giving us a rating or review on whatever podcasting platform you listen to thank you so much for joining us colin thank you for having me and we'll see you very soon for a full episode yeah nice one take care see ya thank you bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.